Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual, with your host, Lachelle Lowe-Chardet, founder of Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and Wiseheart PDX. Hello, thank you for being with me today. I'm happy to be here and to have this opportunity to share with you. Hmm. Thank you for your own desire to grow, evolve, contribute. Today I'd like to talk about meditating from joy and choice rather than from lack. And I have five little sections here that I want to touch on. Compassion, consciousness, preferred experience, meditation and other foundational strategies and a practice at the end. So first I just want to start with compassion for this insidious idea that there's something wrong with you, there's something broken in you, and you should fix it and you need fixing. Or a related idea, externally focused, is that people are suffering and you should do something. If you're a good person, you would do something. So these, mm, we could say motivations or attempted motivations for meditation or anything you do are in and of themselves not taking you where you want to go. And so I want to lay this foundation, this foundational perspective that the consciousness with which you do something can exponentially change your experience and yeah change the results of that experience in your life or the impact of that experience in your life it's certainly not that you won't have a positive effect with a practice if your motivation isn't pure Right? This is some religious speak. You have to have pure motivation. No, we're complicated. We have all sorts of little parts that are criticizing us and criticizing others. It's constantly happening. I'm not saying that. And at the same time, I'm wanting to be a voice for a part of you that doesn't come from lack or from shoulds or what you're supposed to do to be a good person. I'm wanting to cheerlead that part of you. That's my intention today. I'm wanting to make space for that part, ever more space for that part. Hmm. In part, or in a great part, so that you enjoy your life, you enjoy your practice. That these things that we do for what we call self-improvement or to be a better person or to be of greater service to others can come from joy. They can be choices from joy 
rather than from lack or something being wrong with you or wrong in the world that you have to fix. It's a sort of mechanical mind, right, that has grown in this world in which duality, right and wrong, lives pretty large in the decisions around the world and feeds off fear of not being enough or doing something wrong or of more suffering. So I want to just bring in a lot of compassion for that mind and for that perspective and the impact it's had on our world and on you. Hmm, and just allow the truth of that, that that is really operating on so many levels, creating separation, racism, a lack of equitable distribution of resources comes from that mind that says, oh, something is wrong and I'll fix it. Because that mind isn't creative, particularly creative. If we're creative, it's not coming from that mind. The mind that focuses in on what's wrong as a source of lack and lack of worthiness, let's say, is a mind that's contracted, right? That's organizing itself around lack. So it has to be contracted, right? Something's missing, there's a background urgency. Still, we, I just want to rename, we create beautiful things in the world from that mind sometimes. I'm guessing not from that mind that we we initially dive into something with that mind and we have a moment of breaking through and that's where that creative idea comes from, a different mind. <laughs> and so the consciousness I want to offer to you as an alternative to choosing meditation or other practices as a way of fixing yourself or fixing the world has certain elements that I want to offer up that surely you've heard before somewhere else. It has perhaps a perspective that rather than right and wrong experiences or aspects of life, really life is a series of experiences. And as we have them, it's like we're lifting weights in a spiritual gym. As you examine an experience and you see through to the core of something, right? You suddenly discover that racism is an invented idea in history, especially in the history of slavery, for example, right? You mentally understand, ah, this isn't real. This is something that was created, the idea of race, was created to advance delusional ideas of self-interest, right? Coming from a place of lack in those people, which gives rise to greed and so on. 
So we have these experiences that are painful and that divide us and create incredible suffering so that we can see through them. And as we do, we strengthen our capacity to choose something new. We strengthen our capacity to discern with wisdom. Does this idea that's being sold to me create more separation in life? Or does it support more connection, more wisdom? And compassion. So this is the consciousness mm, that I'm hoping would choose practices like meditation from a place of joy because you see the well we're gonna get into that in a minute. Let me let me not get ahead of myself. So in this consciousness, when you choose healing, for example, to get specific, you choose healing because you understand, ah. As I choose to do healing work, it helps me to cultivate compassion, understanding of myself, and understanding of others, which also leads to acceptance. It leads to dissolving habitual judging that we do. And so we choose healing because we want this experience, this beautiful experience of accessing compassion and understanding and acceptance. We choose from this consciousness, from this expansive consciousness, to relieve the suffering of others, not because it makes us a good person, because we think we should, but because it's incredibly satisfying to enact compassion. That's why we choose it. It's incredibly satisfying. There's a sense of wholeness when you're in the act of relieving suffering from someone of someone else. This consciousness also deeply rests on the knowing that there is nothing that can affect your innate goodness, the fact that you're made from love. You can separate from that and go into dark places, right? Which obviously many humans do. They go into dark disconnection from life and from the beautiful life in them. And behavior comes from that, which stimulates suffering. And the consciousness that supports life is one that says, I will not be separated from the goodness in me. I will not engage in that that separates me from the goodness in me. And when I'm grounded in that goodness, I naturally do that which is life-serving. And that's kind of circular, right? Here at Wise Heart, we, we practice all these skills and we practice the consciousness and one f- supports the other. The more I engage in the skill, the more I grow, grow the consciousness The more I deepen into a consciousness, the more I access a skill, or I naturally act with skillfulness. Life-serving acts of kindness or service. So then another way to say consciousness, because that's a word that maybe is a little abstract and gets 
thrown around a lot, is to ask the question, who is choosing? And that might be an easier way in rather than examining your consciousness or even using that word. You can ask yourself, which part of me is choosing right now? Is it the me that feels pressure and urgency and sees lack, that imagines you're not enough if you don't do X, Y, Z? I just want to pause here and have a lot of compassion for... It's not you by yourself, of course, right? We live in a system, a lot of us in the world, I think there are pockets that don't participate in this kind of system, but many of us in the entire world live in systems that are functioning from a sense of lack and pursuing the delusion of more mm, self-interest, not in the life-serving definition of self, right? What they imagine will be self-serving, what they imagine will... be satisfying. And so within that system, if you're in a moment of choice, you may be so exhausted from that system, from trying to be enough, to get enough, to pursue, to do what the system asks you to do, to work more hours in a week, to put money in your savings account, to produce all these mandates from systems of capitalism and all the divisive systems that there are. I don't think a list is particularly helpful. That when you have a moment to rest, probably what the you that is connected with your innate goodness will tell you to do is rest. And so at the beginning, when you're checking in with what do I deeply want and you have been caught in a system of producing and being more and pursuing more pleasurable experiences, right? Whatever mandate is pushing you. Then there's a good chance that your body wants rest and your heart wants nourishment. And we get confused there, right? Because when we think about, oh, I want to rest, then what a lot of cultures in the world offer us is vacuous entertainment. And vacuous entertainment might help you rest for maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but then you might need to actually sleep, or you might need gentle movement or to take a bath. And then you likely need something that nourishes your spirit and your heart. Inspiration or connection with someone who deeply accepts you or loves you or wants to play with you. So I just want to offer that big perspective of it's not necessarily that easy to notice who's choosing, number one, and then when you do connect with, oh, what am I deeply choosing, and the answer over and over again is rest, that might be a little disappointing. You might think, ah, Well, if I'm always choosing rest, that seems really selfish. How's that going to work, right? So it's a cycle. It's a cycle that when you're rested, 
and fully self-connected, then those other choices start to come naturally on their own to engage in something that contributes to your wholeness and to relieve suffering of others. Another way to say all this, besides consciousness and who, is this concept of preferred experience. So I want to offer this up because I'm hoping maybe it's a little more concrete, a little easier to relate to. Initially, I learned this from a trainer you've heard me talk about, John Eisman, one of my one of a beautiful gift in my life at the time when I was doing a lot of training work and mindful mindfulness-based approaches to therapy. And he said it so simply. Basically, we're looking to have a preferred experience. And in the context of counseling, which we were in at the time, when someone comes to your office for counseling and support, they're basically saying, I'm having a particular set of experiences, and I would prefer to have a, a different set of experiences. I really like the simplicity of that. And so, if we come back to our theme here of meditation, then my dream for you is that you're tracking meditation as a preferred experience and or you're tracking the very next moment after meditation as a preferred experience. So that when you're <clears throat> choosing meditation, you're choosing it from that resourced place in you, moving towards what you would prefer, moving towards what you enjoy. And it doesn't mean that what we enjoy is easy. So we want to just keep those two things separate for now in this world of separating things. That joyful isn't always mean easy. I think there's a lot of association there that can be really confusing. Because vacuous entertainment is easy. But I wouldn't say it's joyful. It's providing rest. Sometimes if it's really good, you're laughing. And that's really shifting your energy, that laughter. But it's not the entertainment that's shifting your energy. It's your ability to laugh and release with that laughter. So with meditation, as you do the difficult work, and I'll say work, right, of directing your attention. And there's all sorts of aids for that, right? There's all sorts of guided meditation to help you with those initial stages of learning to direct your mind and settle your mind. As that kind of falls into place little by little, I invite you to notice, ah, what do I prefer here? Or to take as your object of meditation something you prefer. Both, both are really important. The more you take an object of concentration that's preferred, that's pleasurable, joyful for you, something in nature or a sensation you enjoy in your body, 
And the more you then reflect after meditation, ah, what is the preferred experience now that I'm having? What am I enjoying before you stand up or move? What am I enjoying about having done that? In this way, you build up meditation as a preferred experience rather than something you should do. And so I'm talking about meditation today so that we have a place. I'll go into a little more about that in a moment. And at the same time, you can do this with anything. You can do this with your job. I should go to work today or I have to go to work today usually is what it is, right? You can direct your attention to is there anything I prefer about my work? Is there anything I enjoy? Is there needs that I enjoy meeting at work? And seek that out. Sometimes you just look for different work, right? It's that simple. Looking for different work isn't simple. I didn't mean to say it that way, but there can be a choice there that's simple. So then the basics of this is that we're shifting out of these thoughts of I should and this self-improvement, this idea of I'm going to improve who I am because I'm lacking, because there's something wrong with me, and into this choosing because we enjoy refining our energy, clarifying our mind. We enjoy that higher vibrational state of clarity, settledness, coherence. It's preferred. We do it because we enjoy it. And so again, if you're doing things because you enjoy them, it's not a series of hedonism, hedonistic states, right? There's a difference between pursuing momentary pleasures and pursuing a deep sense of satisfaction and joy. And it's not about avoiding challenges or avoiding what's difficult. It's really about that deep, deep sense of authenticity. What is joyful for you? And I can tell you that I've had moments, especially in this last year, as I'm really working that edge of authenticity, what's truly authentic, as I start to see through systems of capitalism and the conditioning and the mandates there. That it can be scary to pursue what's truly authentic for you because it probably doesn't fit in to those norms. Most likely doesn't. So in one way we could say that pursuing what's joyful is actually an embracing of your authentic experience and embracing and then an acting from that authenticity. So from this embracing of authenticity, <clears throat> this choosing of what's joyful, 
you realize that your happiness doesn't depend on the circumstances of your life and everything going just as you planned. That as you engage this practice of authentic choosing from what serves life, what serves wholeness and joy, you build resilience and a sense of peace in you and a sense of happiness comes from a confidence in your resilience, a confidence that you have the capacity to maintain a perspective that supports a groundedness in love regardless of the challenges that come your way. When you have that confidence, you're standing on a certain solidness in yourself. You're, you're residing in this solidness of who you are deeply. And there's a lot of peace in that. Thank you for listening this far. I just have two more short things. I wanna, I wanna name this idea of foundational strategies. We have this idea in the world of nonviolent communication and mindful compassionate dialogue of universal needs. Beautiful concept, promoted and clarified by Marshall Rosenberg. And I don't wanna say universal strategies, but I wanna say there are some basic foundational strategies for well-being that are found all around the world. I would call meditation one of those foundational strategies. They are strategies that have tremendous potential for well-being, for healing, for connection, for serving life. Others that you, you could easily recognize could include that which supports our connection to other living beings, such as caretaking, healing work, living together with a shared life-serving intention, gardening together, things like this. It could be found other and foundational strategy include forms of movement like Qigong or movement in nature. I really like mushroom hunting as a movement in nature. It's life-giving, it's slow and intimate. Mm. There's forms of movement that we do in some sort of synchronicity with others, in deep connection with others, like dance or yoga, forms of physical theater, biodanza, silent improv. And of course, forms of prayer or ritual that are truly authentic for you, that call you into connection and into remembering who you are. So these foundational strategies have a domino effect <clears throat> that then support you in finding what's authentic for you and then making choices based on joy. So I invite you into a practice this coming week or two weeks of asking yourself, hmm, as I'm making a decision, as I'm choosing in this moment, what part of me is choosing? 
Another way you can check for which parts of you are choosing, you can ask yourself, these are kind of like the sub-questions. If I choose this, what results am I looking for in choosing that? What do I hope will happen or result from that choice? What needs do I hope I will meet? Or asking yourself, what's my true desire? What am I longing for? And as I bring a particular choice in front of me as a possibility, what do I notice about a sense of resonance or a sense of a yes in me? Is there tension? Is there expansion? Is there contraction? Is there a lightness of being? Those are some practices that I offer for choosing that which serves life from a joyful place in you. Thank you so much for being with me here today. I sincerely hope this was life-serving for you to listen. Radiating love from my heart to yours. You can learn more about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and find free resources, live offerings, and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org. You can also connect with Wiseheart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.